murdered some cats. Well, guess what? It's me again, Margaret. So uh, earlier this week, Pastor Justin called me, and he's like, hey, can, can uh, you preach Sunday again and, and give, the, give the people what you gave them last Sunday? And I said, you mean a, a sermon they'll actually listen to? And um, and he said, no, another short sermon, please. Which, by the way, take note, that might be the ones they listen to. You know, I like what Blake said in Sunday school this morning um, because I, you know, I mentioned that once I got studying this out, uh, it, it was really turned into a two-part sermon, and, and Blake said, you should have said it was a ten-part sermon. <laughs> he said, that's how you slowly uh, take over the church. <laughs> and I will not tell you what I replied. Actually, I, I will if you want me to. I said, it's about time for another Bradley to rain, isn't it? <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. I promise you, Pastor Justin, I don't want it. God love you. I love you. So, you know, I kind of <laughs> wrap this whole thing up around us having communion at the end of service. So thank you for that, Pastor Justin. <laughs> but anyway, we'll go with it. Um, Woman at the well, main characters, remember? You got Jesus, you got the woman, you got the well, or more specifically, the location of the well. But quick, quick recap. Um, let's, let's talk about this woman. She was not just any woman, she was a wayward woman. She was a dirty woman. And let me remind you that before receiving Christ, we are all as dirty as she was. Um, we, find that, um, we, we find that this woman was enslaved. Do y'all remember what she was enslaved to? Well, she was enslaved to her sin. Remember, um, John 8, 34 states, whoever commits sin is the servant of sin. Undoubtedly, there are many people here today who are enslaved to sin. Um, th this woman was enslaved into the ultimate sin, really sin, hell, death, separation from God for a lifetime. That's, that's, that's where she was enslaved, but how sad it can be that even after receiving Christ, um, Christians can, like a dog returning to its vomit, enslave ourselves back into sin. Um, and I just ask you today, uh, we partook in communion, and it should have been a time that we allowed God to examine us. And I ask you today, I ask me today, am I enslaved in sin? Because you know what? Just like this wayward woman, if we're enslaved to sin, we're going to be enslaved to sorrow. Why? Why will we be enslaved to sorrow? Because sin never brings lasting satisfaction. Never. Ever. Not one time. So, we get enslaved to sorrow. Um, as I thought about that, though, there is another kind of sorrow. Um, 
maybe you are enslaved to a sorrow not brought about about sin, but maybe just there's something you are grieving that it's time to let go of. Don't be enslaved to sorrow. The Bible says, bread of deceit is sweet to a man, but afterwards his mouth shall be filled with gravel. And she was also a slave to superstition. Remember, she had this fake religion, false religion. She had tried it, but it had no joy, no strength, and no satisfaction. But enter Jesus, right? That's always a good tagline. But Jesus. And we see the humanity of Jesus. Remember, we talked about that, the humanity of Jesus. And, and, and I told you why I love the humanity of Jesus. Because I cannot relate to the deity of Jesus, the deity of God. But I can relate to the humanness of Jesus. And I like it when I see my, my Lord thirst. And I like it when I see my Lord is tired. And I like it when I see my Lord is sorrowful and, and weeps. Because it reminds me of myself. And I like that. And, 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 and I said it last week, I'll say it again, maybe more mind-blowing than that is that Jesus can relate to me. Why? Because he chose to come to earth to be man. Never losing the fullness of God, but taking on the fullness of man. So he can relate to me and I can relate to him. And I love to see the humanity of Jesus. But we see that Jesus himself, even Jesus, runs into issues along the way when it comes to spreading himself or spreading the gospel like we are to do. And we talked in our Sunday school class how, what a privilege it is that Jesus has chosen us to spread the gospel. And we said one of those reasons is because people can relate to you. And guess what? It always says that Jesus... Sent, sent people out, but not alone. It said that Jesus was coming behind them, right? So our job is to go out and relate to other people and to spread the gospel. Why? Because Jesus is coming on. Jesus is coming on. The kingdom of heaven is what? Near. It's here. So, but we see the, the, the barriers he ran into. What are some of them? The racial barrier. We talked about that. Um, the resentment barrier. We talked about that. And the reputation barrier, we talked about that. And, and really, we threw in there the tradition barrier. Jesus broke all of those barriers. And, and I ask you all again, are you, what barrier is it that's holding you up? What barrier do you need to overcome? People need you to overcome that barrier. This woman needed Jesus to overcome those barriers. She needed somebody to. And people are needing you. People want to hear what you have to say. They might not know it, but they need to hear what you have to say. And if you're not willing to get over a racial barrier or a reputation barrier or a tradition barrier, um, then that soul might be lost forever. Could be lost forever. So we see that even Jesus runs into these difficult situations. So, we have Jesus and we, and we have the wayward woman, but we also have the well, the well of water. The Lord Jesus was a master soul winner. I love it. The master soul winner. 
And so the Lord Jesus just used what was at hand. He was the great teacher, and he saw that well. He saw that water, and he used that as an illustration of himself. And oh, by the way, he's the only person in history that could have used that illustration. Can you say that you're living water? No. That was unique to Jesus. But listen to this now. Guess what's unique to you? This is your testimony. Your testimony is as unique to you as Jesus being able to say, I'm like living water, or I am living water. So just use what, what's at hand. You don't have to be a master theologian. You don't have to know all the answers of the Bible, but what you do have is what Jesus has done for you. And what Jesus has done for you might just be what somebody needs to hear to let Jesus do something for them. So we see that Jesus just uses what's available. Use what's available, your testimony. That well was there that day and was used as an object lesson to talk about the Lord Jesus. Jesus says to this woman in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is, or who it, who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So Jesus refers to himself as living water. Um, verse 13 and 14, I'm going to read that. It says, uh, Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. Talking about the physical well that was there. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up. Springing up to eternal life. So let's look at what kind of water Jesus is. You know, if you go to the convenient uh, station today, you will find all kinds of water. Some will be a dollar, and some will be five dollars, and it seems everyone has their fa favorite. But what kind of water is Jesus? First of all, he is a satisfying water. Water satisfies, and so does Jesus. Our bodies are about 70% water, or so I've been told. God has literally made us to where we must drink or we will die. Right? So a person without water, what do they have? They have a thirst for water. And it's a thirst that only water will satisfy. But guess what? A person without Jesus also has a thirst. And they have a thirst that only Jesus can satisfy. You will never, never find satis satisfaction like you find in Jesus. We were literally made for him, and there is no satisfaction apart from him. Many people are trying to satisfy their need for Jesus with everything else under the sun, and it will always disappoint. It will always let you down. It will always fail to satisfy. Only Jesus can fill a Jesus-sized hole. You know, the most satisfied people that I see in the Word of God, and truthfully, the most satisfied people I see in Jesus in this world are the ones who literally, basically have nothing. We find that in the Bible a lot. We find that with the woman who gave all of her earnings. Every bit. She was the most satisfied in Jesus. We see the woman who pulled out all of her life savings of oil at Jesus' feet. She was the most satisfied. 
And it's on and on and on. But I look at missionaries who literally have no idea where their needs, not their wants, but their needs are coming from. And yet they seem like they're the most satisfied people on the face of the world. You know, just like this woman was deceived by the devil, we too can be deceived by the devil when, when we start to look for satisfaction in something other than just Jesus Christ. See, we, we start to find it in the image of our marriage or the how high can I go in this company or the success of my children or, or, or my financial statement or, and you fill in the blank. Now look, those aren't bad things. But if they were stripped away, and by the way, they can be, would I still be satisfied? If that's, if that's starting to take place of my ultimate satisfaction that I can find in Jesus, then I have a problem. Because it's really not until I'm satisfied in Jesus that I can really find ful fulfillment in those other things. Maybe it's because we live in America and we're the richest people on earth and we can afford to buy ourselves all the distractions we want. So he's a satisfying water. Jesus is also a sanctifying water. Ephesians 5.26 talks about the washing of the water by the word and Titus 3.5 speaks of the washing of regeneration. The woman at the well was not only thirsty on the inside, but she was dirty. And I don't want us to get too caught up on her dirtiness because Nicodemus in the previous chapter, who was all shined up on the outside, was just as dirty on the inside as this woman. They both needed to be cleansed. And Jesus is the water of life that cleanses. It can make what was wretched and rotten white as snow. 1 Corinthians 6.9 says, now listen to this, listen to this closely. 1 Corinthians 6.9 says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Neither, or do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, if we stop right there with that verse, this woman's in big trouble. And, by the way, so are we. Yeah, I might be in big trouble if that verse stops right there. And you might be in trouble if that verse starts right, stops right there. But praise God, that verse goes on to say this. Such were some of you. Me. But, there it is, but. And you could say, but Jesus. But. You were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the spirit of God. There is hope. There is hope. It, you cannot be too good that you don't need God and you cannot be too bad that God can't change you. There is hope. 
And listen, when this dirty Samaritan woman received the Lord Jesus Christ as her personal Savior, she became, now remember, five husbands, living with a six, sleeping with a six, who was not her husband. When she received the Lord Jesus Christ as her personal Savior, she became as pure as a virgin. Every stain, every blot, every blemish was washed away. Jesus did it for her. He did it for me. He can do it for you. And it is for everyone. It's for those who are different than us and talk different than us and look different than us and who make us uncomfortable. It's for them too. Jesus is satisfying water. He is sanctifying water. But he's also, like we read in verse 14, he is a springing water. What does that mean, springing up? It means that you have the well in you. Listen, salvation is not something I have to keep coming back to Jesus and keep getting saved over and over again. No, it doesn't work like that. Jesus gives me the well, and that well never runs dry. Never runs dry. But we try so many times to dip from a dry well. I love the fact that this lady left her pot sitting at the well when she went back to town. I love that. Yes, she was probably excited. Yes, she might have forgotten it. But I, I, I look at it as like she didn't need it no more because she had the well inside of her. I like that imagery. Why did Jesus seek her? Why did Jesus seek you? Do you know the answer to that? Why did Jesus seek you? It's the same reason she, he's, he seeks this woman. It's the same reason he seeks anybody. Why did Jesus forgive her? Why did he satisfy her? It can be summed up in one word, and I feel like we have partaken of that today, and it's called worship. Worship. We are made to worship a holy God. I think in this sermon somewhere, I said it is the highest attainment a man or woman can achieve is to worship a holy God. Why does God want us to worship him? Ever thought about that? Why does God want us to worship him? Is he so egomatic? Uh, yeah, is, is his ego so big that he needs to be bragged on to feel good about himself? No. That's not why Jesus wants us to worship him. He wants us to worship him because we need it. It's the only God in ever that proclaims, if you worship me, you're going to be better off for it. And you have nothing. You don't have to work for it. It's a free gift. It's for his glory, yes. But it will always benefit you. Always. Always. We become, you see, we become like what we worship. We become like what we worship. When a man makes an idol, first of all, the man molds the idol. But what ends up happening is the idol molds the man. We start to become like what we worship.
when we worship Jesus, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, We all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory. That's just the truth. The word of the God says that. It's not me saying that. It's saying when we worship God in truth and in spirit, we are changed into the same image from glory to glory. If I asked everyone in here, what is worship? I am likely to get many different answers. But I like what John MacArthur says. John says that worship is all we are responding to all that God is. I really like that definition of worship. Worship is all that we are responding to all that God is. The word worship comes from two different words, worth and ship. You see, we worship him because he's worth it. Now, how much is God worth to you? How much is God worth to me? I had to ask myself that. That's why I can ask you that. I asked my Sunday school class that today. How much is God worth to you? Well, I don't know what he's worth to you personally, but I know how you can find out. Examine your worship life. And when you examine your worship life, this will tell you how much God is worth to you. You see, sadly, there are many things that are worth way more than God to me, at least from time to time, at least that has been revealed to me. And it can be as silly as a golf game to as serious as a family. That I'm putting more worth on that than I am on God. Listen, worship starts with being born again. There must be a regeneration by the Father. You cannot worship unless God is your Father. And God is not your Father unless Jesus Christ is your Savior. So I ask you, have you been born again? Have you received Christ as your personal Savior? The Holy Spirit comes into you when you are saved, and He's the one who enables you to worship God. And you must worship God in spirit and in truth. Um, Lita, you can come on up. Justin, you can come on up. Curious thing about worship. What are the results of worship? It's really easy. The results of worship is more worship. What happened to the lady at the well when she went from a wayward woman to a liberated lady? When she went from wretched and rotten to pure as a virgin? What happened? She left. And did what? Went and told everybody. And what happened? The Bible says that many in that town came to believe. Her worship just led to more worship. And I think when worship is acted upon correctly, that's, that's what it will always lead to. More worship. 
more lives being one. Where are you at today in your regards to worship? Who, who do you, who do you um, relate to today in this story? Do you relate to the woman? Well, which woman? The wayward woman or the liberated woman? Do you relate to Jesus and his humanity and the things that he had to overcome that you're struggling to overcome? Do you relate and are praising God that, that, that your worship is where it needs to be? Or is God revealing that your worship needs some help? Who do you relate to? Where are you at today in your regard, regards to worship? The most important question, though, is have you been saved? That's where worship starts. And if you are saved, have you realized that the worth of God needs to mean more, uh, something more to you than it currently does? I know that's where I relate. Where do you relate? The altar will be open if you need it. But you know what? You can do your business right where you sit, too. As we sing. Let's stand. We're going to sing softly and tenderly, which is found on page number 479. 479.